From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hello and welcome to episode 100 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian Michael Bowling and I am joined by my co-host, producer and good friend Craig Williams. Craig, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Michael? I'm doing well, thank you. I, I see we're all decked out in our tuxedos here for our our big centennial episode, episode yeah. 100 of Connecting with Walt. I put on my dress bolo tie because uh, could not <laughs> be in anything fancier than a bolo tie, of course. Yeah, of course. So, and I, and I have to tell you, you don't look a day over episode forty-five. Uh, I, I feel like I'm <laughs> at episode three hundred already, but um, you know what? It's it's it doesn't matter. It's still fun yeah. every week. That's what matters. Well, it is. It is very much so. And and you know, we come from humble beginnings. You know, this started out. Well, it started out as just you know occasional articles. You know, on the news. Yeah. And then went to, you know, occasional segments on our old uh, Diz Unplugged podcast, Disneyland edition. And then what we became a quarterly show, an event podcast. Yeah. And then and then for about a year and a quarter or so, we've been weekly. Yeah, no, and uh, it's it's. It has been a journey. I mean, it's it, it's been a wild ride. So because <laughs> I. You know, I, I can remember, I think, when I was first coming around, uh, one of my first trips out to Disneyland, that was that was right around the time where you had kind of taken over the, the realm of the history segments from Wayne on mm-hmm. the Disneyland Edition podcast. And so you were new to the team-ish, and I was, I was obviously new to the team. And then it just kind of worked out where you and I just started coming together in some of the projects that that were happening whether it was d23 expo or then uh moving on from there after seeing how well we worked together moving on to to other trying to get together some video projects and um it, then that kind of led to the creation of this show and the hilarious part was i wasn't even in it on the beginning so it no. was i was not in the original lineup to be on the show with you mm-hmm. but uh, circumstances happened and i got thrust into this opportunity and and yeah we've just been doing it ever since and i and think everyone likes it for the most it's, part <laughs> it's been great yeah and and so and thanks to our listeners for making us a success yeah 
and 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 for your loyalty out there as part of our connecting us about family yeah i remember that first d23 we broadcast from where it was just you me and tom oh, and we yeah. do it we were doing it in the dark in front of the conventional oh yeah no right out front of it <laughs> oh. and we had i think we only had one microphone maybe it, we did i yeah i haven't watched that back in so so long i need to to dig it down i did like two two or three years ago i looked at it real quick but yeah we it was just the three of us standing outside and i mean this was this was so so old school back in the day when we were doing this this was like while it went up on youtube basically we would hit record on the camera but then this was back when we were live streaming before youtube could do it we were live streaming mm-hmm. through livestream.com and so we were broadcasting to while it was like 11 o'clock at night in california so yes. no one on the east coast was up watching but except for cory martin because yeah. cory was letting us know if it was working or not exactly and <laughs> and that was kind of it and you know and then it was like wake up and see everyone who watched it and then i was trying to like after doing these broadcasts that we're like oh it's a, we'll just do like 20 minute recaps of the day and i want to say the one went like uh, maybe it's just my memory serving me incorrectly but i thought the one went like over an hour long and we it were did. just standing there thinking like oh it'll be a it'll be you know just 20 minute recaps just on our day the highlights and and what it went to from that but uh yeah gosh that was that was wild and I mean, that was a lot of fun, though. We've come a long way from that with D23 Expo. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, now it's we have a whole recording studio, broadcast studio there. Yes, I, exactly. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, it, it's, just, it's amazing to see what, what, what all happened on a whim because, literally, I wasn't even supposed to go out there. Um, mm-hmm. It was... It was also last minute. It was, I think, it was a week before, uh, maybe maybe two weeks at most. That finally said, "Well, we probably should have a video person going out there to do this." And so uh, I I was the one who was chosen to go. And last minute flight, last minute everything. It was an exhausting weekend. Uh, my I remember on the way back. I didn't. I hadn't posted all my videos yet at that point, and my hard drive died, and I lost like two or three expos that I had taped to the entire panels of that now we will never have because because of my hard drive crashing. Um, so stuff like that's sad, but yeah, yeah I it, <laughs> I just looked at it real quick. We went from a thirty minute quick recap on the first day. To just shy of an hour and then the next day i didn't join you for it because we went so far over and we were able to shorten it to 13 minutes so (laughs) fun times that was that was fun it's it's been great so what what are some of your favorite memories of connecting as well do you have any episodes that are your personal favorites Uh, i mean obviously like the first time we we recorded with Don Hahn that way, or mm-hmm. sorry, the first time we recorded with Bob Gurr was a huge, huge moment. And then also, uh, also of course the Don Hahn episode, that was, that was a big highlight. Um, you know, and I don't remember how much we talked about it, uh, as it was happening, but it, 
it, we had this complete breakdown where your internet just shut off yes. right in the middle of the interview. And so I just, you know, while some interviews we do, I'm able to, I, I, I'm able to find moments to chime in more than others. Others, I'm just sitting back listening to the story like everyone else is getting uh, it in the moment. And, and with this one, it was like, I wasn't talking throughout the entire thing. But then when, when everything broke down, it was like, okay, well, I'm just going to sit here and have small chat with, with Don Hahn. And it was, it was, it was a highlight of, of, anything that we've done on this um, you're welcome yeah thank you for i i didn't secretly plan it of course um but yeah so those those are kind of the big ones but then just on a on a more sentimental kind even in a way um i I think my favorite moment of of a recording with you and i would believe it or not isn't even even uh any of like the big interviews it was had we've had i i think my favorite one was when after you and i got to go to do the the tour of um of the walt disney studios and mm-hmm. then after we were done with the tour we we went back to disneyland hotel and we were literally sitting in the like convention center space uh, right up above like Steakhouse 55 we just found the quietest corner we could and just we got to sit there and record together because obviously if if you can't tell um, you know we as from the opening of the show we don't record in the same space uh, it's it, we try to at times there's been there's been a couple episodes here and there throughout the the entire length of the show where we've recorded it in the same room at the same time um, doesn't doesn't always happen but that was one where where we did and it was in an awesome place because we're surrounded by all that artwork that people just don't even know is up there for the most Mm -hmm. part and after going to the freaking walt disney studios for a day it was it was just one of those like really surreal days where you just like look back on and like this was good this is why we we do these things and we Mm -hmm. exhaust ourselves because every now and then we have we have real special days like that. So that's probably probably my highlight, I think, yeah. of all the episodes. Yeah, I agree. I Some of the highlights for me, well, when, you know, my problem is sometimes I don't remember, did I do this on the Disneyland show or did I do it on, <laughs> on, on this show? But for me, interviewing Rolly Crump, mm-hmm. that was huge. And, I, you know, I, I would never have done that if it wasn't for the Diz. And Don Hahn was a big deal for me as well, uh, just because he was so nice. Oh my gosh, he's a he's a big time movie producer. Yeah, and, I mean, he was just so down to earth and relaxed and funny. Oh, yeah. And uh, I, I mean, he was great. Uh, Bob Gurr is always a hoot. I, I do enjoy uh, Jim Corcus because you know we just turn on the mic and then we're just off and running. Yeah. You know, and I try to herd him in every once in a while. But he has such great stories, and he's so engaging. I enjoy that. And I enjoy when we go to the theme parks, when we do the 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 history of the theme parks, where we have personal memories to share Yeah, of our experiences when we were young or younger. And I, I just think that's very special. Yeah, no, we we've, we've had a lot of a lot of good ones uh, yeah. along the way, a lot of, a lot of fun. So, uh, and if this is your first time tuning in, of course, um, it's it's 
always a, a great place. Uh, even though you're starting at 100, that's a good episode to start with because it is a <laughs> milestone one. And we, if you notice the title of it, we clearly have a, another awesome episode for you. I mean, if you, well, if you saw the Facebook post way back when, obviously too, <laughs> and all, everything leading up, you know this is an epic episode. It's been in the the making here, so it, it's not a surprise. But uh, it's we also have. You know, it's uh, we have a hundred episodes, uh, ninety nine episodes before this, and uh, and you know some of them are are throwbacks to the archives from uh, old Disneyland shows when we need to place them in. But uh, but then there's also bonus episodes that we didn't even throw into the numbering system mm-hmm. as well. So uh, there's there's a whole lot of. Um, there's there's a whole lot of episodes out there that if, if you had, haven't gone back to the beginning, um, yeah, m- now might be the time. Go back and yes. start with the beginning. It's yeah, I will say it's changed a lot. Uh, I feel like we've gotten a lot tighter. It's gotten a lot better in some areas. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe a lot worse in others because we've <laughs> we've gotten too used to each other. But I, I think it, it's been a fun it's been a fun ride, and there's a lot of good content in there and. And I, I think we're both really proud of it. And yeah. absolutely, you know, we also want to know what your favorite episodes are, as we've already shared some of ours. So um, that's a, a great way you can do that is by you know we have our connecting Walt Twitter. I had to stop there for a <laughs> second. I was like, I want to say connecting with Walt Twitter, connecting Walt, and I just said connecting Walt first, but. Of course, uh, we can't have connecting with Walt as our Twitter handle because that is too many letters in there. So that's why we are just connecting Walt on Twitter. And if you're not following us, now is the time to to head over and follow us on there and tweet at us and let us know what your favorite episodes are. So we mm-hmm. we would love to know from our past and bonus on that too. It helps us uh, decide what to to do in the future. So mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, tell us what you would like to see more of too. What what kind of episodes would you like to see? Yeah, so uh, like, do you want to see more of Tony Spatel coming and planning <laughs> days with us? So yeah, uh, or do do you not? It's I, I think you do. <laughs> uh, I know I know those episodes are always go over really well, and it's it's awesome talking to Tony. He's just so so passionate about this stuff so mm-hmm. um it's but yeah we want we want to know what you want more of too so let us know what your favorite episodes are by tweeting at us and and let us know what you, what else you want to see us do in the future it's 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 a great place to connect with with walt and with us <laughs> yes absolutely and if you enjoy listening to this 100th episode with our special guest and as part of our celebration of our 100th episode, it is Connecting with Walt Day on the Waltland Bus Tour with Bob Gurr on May 19th. So I hope you will consider joining us for our big celebration. You can go to um, waltland.com and sign up and you, we get a discount code because, you know, we're we're important so when you just enter unplugged in all lowercase letters and you will get a discount and wear your um connecting with walt or your dish shirt or something because we will take a group photo with bob and also his new book that's coming out is going to be available at walt's barn on the day we're there may 19th and so you can get his book it's fresh off the presses and uh, and he can um, autograph it for you right there 
So that's cool. Yeah. Oh, awesome. this, the same discount also applies to A Swinging Wake, celebrating 50 years of the Haunted Mansion, Saturday, September 28th, that is being hosted by Bob Gurr and Garner Holt. And there's going to be others. And Bob says this is the party of the year. So, uh, so, so you'll have to you have to check it out and see if it is. So, anyway, so again, Craig, congratulations on 100 episodes. Yes, you too, Michael. I appreciate all your work that you've put into this, and I know, I, I know it's it is a labor of love. It is a a big labor at that some <laughs> for some episodes, uh, but it it means a lot to me, and I I look forward to this next hundred along the way too. Thank you, so do I, and also you do a huge amount of work because not only do you contribute to the show on air, you do all the work behind the scenes yeah, and and all the production work and fighting with the iTunes overlords and <laughs> all of that to get it posted and that that is a lot harder than folks might think yes so so i appreciate all that you do and your many 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 late hours you spend doing it yeah every week so yes. thank you no. Okay, when Bob Gurr was on Connecting with Walt back in 2017, he suggested an idea to me and Craig that we ask our listeners to submit questions for him to answer the next time he was back on the show. Well, that idea rattled around in our heads all this time. And when Craig and I began discussing what epic topic we would do for our 100th episode, we immediately thought of Bob's idea. So in celebration of our 100th episode, and as a sneak preview of our Connecting with Walt Day with Bob on this May 19th Waltland bus tour, and as a thank you to you, our loyal listeners, we are delighted to welcome back Disney Imagineer, Disney legend, friend of the Diz, and all-around good guy, Bob Gurr. So, Bob, welcome back to Connecting with Walt. Oh, it's all my pleasure. Anytime somebody really wants to know about Walt Disney, I'm up for it anytime, as long as you, anybody would want to ask questions. Oh, well, our, our listeners definitely wanted to ask questions of you. So so, so what, what have you been doing since the last time you were with us? Is there anything you really want to talk about before we get started? Well, yes, we're going to run the commercial right here at the front of the uh, program. Okay, let's do uh, that. On Amazon, on Amazon, the first week of May, you will be able to buy a $21 book called Bob Gurr, Legendary Imagineer, Life and Times, Disney and Beyond. It's a book, uh, 184 pages. It's uh, 8.5 by 11, uh, glossy, no photos on the inside, strictly for reading. The type is 16 point, very big, which means <laughs> little kids and old people can actually read the book. And it, I tell stories that no one's ever heard. What happens is the first book I did, and of course the DVD that I did, uh, people always say, yeah, we know what you did and you tell us how you did, but we want to know all the other stuff you do because we think you do a lot of other stuff. Well, I do. And I've got all these tantalizing tales. And for twenty one ninety five on Amazon, you can buy it the first week of May. So that ends the commercial. So we'll now start the program. All right, thank you. And I, I, I'm, I have a question about it that I'll bring up towards the end of the program. So too, 
So, okay, now we've received a lot of questions from our listeners, and we've grouped them into categories. Uh, Disney theme parks, that, of course, was the largest. The Walt Disney Studio and the Walt Disney Company. Engineering and Imagineering. Walt Disney. And some personal questions um, that folks had for you. So we're going to start in the Disney theme park category. Uh, Craig, do you want to select the first question? Oh man, that is uh, that's that's a tough one. Um, I mean, me having to choose the very first one, but <laughs> I I think I will do it. I'm probably going to pick like a super easy one that you have heard a million times before as the first one. So uh, don't don't get too mad at me for it. But uh, this one. This one comes from Melissa, and she asked, if you could change one thing at either Walt Disney World or Disneyland, what would it be? Do you realize that we all live our lives going forward and we never back up? History is history, and it continues to disappear in the smoke trail behind us. It's a hypothetical question, and I never answered that kind of a hypothetical question. I'm so sorry, <laughs> Melissa, but <laughs> it's a very good question. Everybody gets it all the time, but it's like uh, I can't live my life over again, and I can't redesign anything over again. <laughs> all the good stuff is still running, and the bad stuff went to the junkyard. <laughs> I love that answer. That's a great answer. I like that. So... Okay, now we we got a we got the same question in a variety of ways, but Mike and Matthew basically asked the same question: uh, What attraction, vehicle, or innovation in Disney or non Disney are you most proud of? Oh, it's obviously the uh, the monorail at Disneyland. Because stop and think a minute: uh, all the transportation that transpired in America from the 1700s all the way up to 1959, it was pretty conventional stuff. Uh, the idea of monorails had been around a long time. And, you know, of course, they had existed in um, in Germany and uh, experimental ones in France. But guess what? Walt Disney wanted a monorail in 1953, and it was on his list of things he wanted to do. By 1958, he got around to uh, starting on it, and I had never seen such a a monorail configuration, the kind that sits on top of a beam. So I just jumped right in and uh, said, oh, I think I know what this thing ought to look like. So I just drew it, and we built it, uh, not thinking it had any kind of a future. It was what Walt wanted. So guess what? Here we are. hidden for 2020 eventually and the disneyland monorail there's been a number of them there of course by now is an icon of that park and walt disney world it's an icon of their park so i would have to say something that wound up that walt wanted that i'd never seen and a 10-minute sketch delivered the overall shape i thought it ought to be and here it's lasted all this time, and it it just seems it's it's the number one icon. Mm-hmm. I can't can't even describe it any better than that. Well, I've got I've got a follow up question from Paul. It's not a follow up to that one, but that's actually a uh, one that's on the same line, also about the monorail. And uh, 
Paul said, Bob, I've heard you speak about the monorail and why it was a failed transportation device. In Australia, there were a few attempts at setting up a monorail as a transport system, but all have failed as the mentality is that monorails are just theme park trains. Do you think that a monorail is just a theme park train? And do you feel Disney's involvement with the monorail has led to people thinking it's just a theme park attraction? No, not at all. If you uh, read the um, Kim Pedersen's uh, book on monorail, you'll find that uh, all of really good fast monorails that are being expanded uh, rapidly every year are all in China. Somehow China understood what Walt wanted and they saw the, the value of monorail and they they built so many. of One of the lines right now is 58 miles long and they're still adding miles to it. So somewhere along the line, Walt tried desperately to enter cities in the uh, in that concept of monorail. And gosh, we, we've got monorails up to from the Mark 1 to the Mark 7 in both our parks. And we, of course, we got another one that's uh, built by another company in, in Japan. But somehow in America, it never caught on. And I've never understood the uh, the mentality of uh, American governments versus uh, a, a communist country in China that says, say, this is valuable, and by golly, it'll fit what uh, people need, and we're doing it. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's an amazing idea. Of course, in Malaysia and a lot of places in Asia, uh, they have, uh, you know, big full-size monorails, and some of them are absolutely gorgeous. When I was in China, I saw the monorail there. And yeah, it runs right alongside, you know, some of the major roads and freeways. And all yeah, that. there's and, uh, there's probably uh, at least a dozen different uh, monorail lines uh, all over China. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, this is just a real quick question. Uh, Robert asked, what is your favorite monorail color? Favorite monorail color? Red. <laughs> That's what I thought it would be. <laughs> I wear red socks. I wear red shoes. I wear anything that's red. I like red. It's the color of bleeding meat. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> yep. On our site, we posted you on, on the carousel wearing your red, connecting with Walt's shirt, waving when in promoting um, this episode, actually. Um, right. Back on, on my new book, even the cover, if you when you see it and you look at it, it's got a red dot. Just to remind people, that's my color. Now, now this one, again, we're going to keep going a little with the monorail here. This is a question that comes up all the time. And Mary asks this. Would continuing to build monorail or people mover make better sense, I assume she's referring to Walt Disney World, than a Skyway thing? Okay, the word Skyway thing, I understand what she's <laughs> trying trying yes. to say. Uh, Skyway thing is the technical term is called ropeway. Uh, these have been popular for, you know, way back over a hundred years and, uh, and, and mountainous areas and Europe, a lot of companies, uh, have built them and continued to build them. People know them as, uh, ski lifts, but the, uh, technical thing is a ropeway. As you, uh, as your historians will remember, Disneyland had, uh, a, a ropeway, which we called Skyway, which was people called it the buckets. Mm-hmm. Uh, Disneyland, uh, I mean, Walt Disney World is uh, putting a, another ropeway in 
um, uh, partly for transportation uh, amongst uh, some of the hotels, also partly because uh, it gives a little bit of kinetic uh, sort of eye candy to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, ropeways are uh, quite limited in their speed. In other words, if you want to have something that's going 10 miles per hour and you want it to be scenic and you still want to carry a lot of people, especially vertically, you want to, you want to go way up a steep mountain, well, that's the terrific thing. If you want a monorail and it only needs to go 70 or 80 miles per hour, well, you know, that makes a lot of sense. But if you're really going to move people a really, really big distance, you should use a maglev. Um, I went to Shanghai some years ago. I got out of the airport, and I think I paid 7 or $8. And in eight minutes, I was driven over 25 miles into uh, Shanghai at uh, close to uh, 300 miles per hour, and the vehicle didn't even have wheels on it. So there's a big variety of configuration of vehicles you'd use for the purposes of what you're going to use it for. So it's not like saying, well, is one thing better than another thing? So it depends on just its purpose. Yeah, what is it that you want? You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, let's say in surface vehicles for your family, do you want to just move around in a retirement community? Well, get a golf cart. Uh, Do you want to have a big family and travel great distances uh, and stay in uh, beautiful uh, national parks? Well, you get a big motorhome. So there's a, a gigantic range, same way for all other kinds of transportation. You know, look at airplanes. You want a small plane by yourself? Fine. You know, get that. You want a big airplane, move a ton of people, go get yourself uh, an A380 Airbus. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Yeah. So, yeah, I, 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 I like the idea of bringing the Skyway back because, again, it's that nostalgia, you know. from Well, it was always something that uh, – it was always something, the way it was applied at Disneyland, it gave you sort of a um, a quiet, smooth overview from, uh, you know, quite a few feet up in the air. Uh, you know, it was out in the breeze, and it was very pleasant and very quiet. Uh, and it was just a, a real delight. It didn't matter, you know, did you go someplace or not? Well, we were in it there for <clears throat> three or four minutes, and it was, it was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. You know, we have a skyway here in uh, in Southern California. It goes up to 8,500 feet from a very hot desert to a snowy mountain. Uh, I love running. I've been on that thing maybe a dozen times. And it's a, it's a ropeway. It runs with a cable. But it, it goes up at a really steep angle, and it gives you a view that is just, it's worth every penny you pay for it. Hmm. I'll have to check that out. Hmm. So, okay, Craig. Yeah. Uh, this one uh, comes from Connor. I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit and uh, just change around the wording a little bit. But obviously, we've now talked about a couple different forms of transportation. And uh, was there any forms of transportation that you didn't bring to life in a Disney park that you would like to add as a new form of transportation to a Disney park? Well, as a new form... Boy, there's a, I like these questions. This is the one I've never, never got. A new form of transportation. I, I would have loved to have anything that kind of levitated itself and was really fun and safe at the same time. But again, that's in fantasy thinking. In other words, you can ask me a question. I could say, what would I like to see? 
but uh, I'm not in charge of actually making it work. <laughs> <laughs> There's a big difference between uh, answering a question and say, oh, you know what I'd like to see. Uh, it's probably not fair to answer the question unless you have a configuration in mind and you know exactly how you could do that. So that's kind of a tricky question that kind of got a, a very uh, uh, a tricky answer. Yeah, but um, as a new form of transportation, I would love to see all of Disneyland's Tomorrowland ripped out completely and do a gorgeous and beautiful, inspiring uh, type of uh, Tomorrowland in which it has vehicles that are sort of Autopia-like, uh, but they're smooth and they're quiet. They don't make noise. They don't use petroleum. Uh, and it's something the kids would look at and I would say, oh, boy, that's a, that's a super speeder. Oh, I want that so bad. Can I get, can, mommy, can I ride that thing? And it'll be something that would be ground-based, but it would be just super slick and so super neat and you could control it yourself. Yeah. What what about even like on on Main Street? So, you know, we we all know all of the the amazing vehicles that run up and down Main Street. So from fire truck, omnibus, all of them. Is is there another vintage vehicle out there that that you would love to see rolling down the streets ever one day? Well, back up and think. Main Street is probably 1895 to about 1910. That's a really, really narrow uh, span of time. Oh, true. And in true. that span of time, you have you have to respect the kinds of vehicles that were there. They came in only uh, three types. They were pedal powered by humans. They were uh, run with some kind of motive force, uh, like an automobile. And they were pulled by an animal. So in that range, there wasn't anything else that was radical or different that you would use that's that's on a paved street at slow speed when you have pedestrians in the street in between buildings. That's a good point. Did not think about it that way. Well, uh, let me show it this way. If I did a vehicle for Main Street today because the company's expanding and, you know, it's a big uh, revenue company and they like to try a lot of new things. Um, I would break John Hencher's rules about uh, things need to be true to the context of, of, of what you see and where you see it. Example, there's certain things that you would not ever see on Main Street, and we respected that for years and years and years. But I had some people from England a few years ago came to me and said, you know, we went to Disneyland and we saw... Uh, we, we saw stormtroopers with Mickey Mouse and Pluto going down a street. <laughs> uh, that did not look right. So, for example, I would not put a new Tesla on Main Street. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's a good call. Pardon, 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 <laughs> pardon my sarcasm, but I'm. Uh, you want my you want my true feelings? No, don't, don't even say it though, because someone's going to listen to this and be like, "Well." Bob mentioned on that one podcast that we should put a Tesla on Main Street, and then it's going to happen. No, I just said I, I just said I would not put a Tesla on Main <laughs> well, Street. They, they will find a way to change that. <laughs> yeah, don't you don't don't you ever censor me. <laughs> I personally won't. Oh, so. Now, 
Chris asks, how do you feel when you get to the parks and see your work? Do you have the same wonderment that we have, or do you look at it from different eyes and have a totally different perspective? Mm -mm. No, I see it as um, sort of, in a way, I, I see it as, yes, I know those ideas. I know where they came from. Yes, they've been there a long time, but I look at the eyes of all the guests of any age, and I look as they light up when they see things or experience things, and I I just think, oh boy, you know this stuff really worked. Look at after look at what's sixty years, and their people are they're, they're still getting just as much cheer as the first time we ever uh, ran any of them, and that to me is uh, it's such an ongoing validation that yeah, Walt wanted it, yeah, we figured it out. And it works, and it still works. And look at it, look at the folks; they're still twinkly-eyed. Mm-hmm. And it's such a testament that those attractions that were built in the fifties and sixties, with all of our technology, they're still enjoyed today, generations later. You know, so you know, I mean, my granddaughter. It's still she calls them the singing birds, tiki room is a must-do for her. Now, you know, she's going to have her 11th birthday on, you know, May 12th. And she still loves those birds. And, and it's a small world and all that. Now, she loves all the roller coasters, too. But we have to do, you know, Walt's attractions also. And uh, that just makes me happy. Yeah, the, the attractions that have a, a human scale uh, that aren't threatening that have a, uh, a beauty to the eye. These, these are all kind of the natural things that uh, humans uh, gravitate to and respond to. Uh, and everything that Walt did seemed to be in that direction. And that's, that was, that's central to the idea of what would you do and why would you do it and, and, and make sure you do it thoroughly and do it right. Mm-hmm. I agree. And, and, and that's why those attractions stand the test of time. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. So uh, from Jacob, uh, he asked, out of all the lands in each Disney park, which one do you feel best represents Walt's legacy and your achievements? Oh, Main Street, uh, first of all, because um, people uh, do understand uh, eras that uh, came before their time, because there's always a sort of an automatic uh, nostalgia People always talk about, oh, the old time this and the old time that. And I think um, Walt enjoyed that because uh, that was the, the, the essence of Main Street was when he was a little kid. I mean, it made such an impression on him. And it was an impression that uh, that he wanted to make sure it lived and it lived uh, completely accurately. So uh, that's why uh, uh, Main Street is completely that way. Uh, the other part is the, the natural world, the naturalistic world, which is certainly the Jungle Cruise. You know, if you look at everything in that Jungle Cruise, number one, the overwhelming thing is natural plant materials. You know, some flowers to ta- the tallest bamboo you ever see in Southern California uh, to water. And then, of course, we have, uh, you know, animated animals and, and characters there. But all of that is, is it's a complete fit to a natural world in a kind of a far off exotic land. Um, it's, it, you can understand it completely 
And I think Walt understand uh, understood that, and it was that's why uh, the um, Nature's Wonderland was it was the original uh, theme. Uh, not the, there was the, like theme movies. You remember like Seal Island and all those things that he did uh, mm-hmm. with Nature's Wonderland. That's something that people automatically attune to because they can understand it, and they never have to explain it to anybody. When you go to something like a Tomorrowland. Uh, yes, Walt was always thinking of tomorrow, but of course, um, uh, I t- try to do a Tomorrowland. By the time you do it, it's yesterday land. So, uh, Tomorrowlands are kind of a, um, uh, a hopeless, you're, 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 you're doomed no matter what you do. And I think the, the proof of that is Walt Disney's original Tomorrowland went through several changes. And then the last change it went through, it, it sort of retro backed up into old rocks and stuff like that that didn't make any sense. So uh, that kind of proves that a Tomorrowland is a really a tough idea. Uh, but at the same time, Tomorrowland was the very spot that Walt let me design a whole bunch of stuff for it. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think the 1967 version of Tomorrowland is probably the one everybody looks to as the best Tomorrowland, the Dis- the Disneyland one. Yeah, no, you're co- you're completely right because um, uh, the essence of a Tomorrowland is um, the idea that you know the good future is always coming and it's getting really close and it's something that should be inviting and it should be inspirational. Uh, y- you should look at something and say, oh. Golly, that's sleek and neat. Oh, I'd love to go there. Oh, I'd love to live there. Versus, say, uh, things that are kind of far out tomorrow that are actually more Blade Runner-like. Mm-hmm. You know, Star Wars is a really popular thing. A lot of people really love it. But then if you if you look at them, you look at, like, the, you know, the latest Star Wars designs. You know, if I came down here from Mars, I'd look and I'd say, what on earth happened? Boy, this is ancient architecture. It's uh, it's ugly. It's poorly maintained. What happened? Don't these people take care of their town anymore? It's a raggedy-looking joint. Uh, I don't think that's the kind of thing a Walt Disney would have done versus, say, uh, a 67 uh, uh, Tomorrowland. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I absolutely, absolutely agree with you. you. So, I, I, a, a lot, lot of times I don't, I don't even go, go into, into Tomorrowland, Tomorrowland when I go into the parks. So... Anyway, except to go on the submarines and Utopia. <laughs> That's yeah, about I it. still go on Utopia every <laughs> okay, single trip. Okay, all right. Uh, Utopia, thank you. <laughs> I know, I know. You're the one that convinced me why Utopia should stay there. And the last time you were on the show, because I used to think, okay, you know, that sort of outlived its time. But when you said, and, and the thing is, my granddaughter loved it. My son, who's, you know, he's an adult, loves it. It, when you said that is the one attraction that children can be in control of, I thought, you know, you're right. And that's why that attraction should remain there. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's always something, you know, when children see that they can do something that their parents can't can't stop them from doing, mm-hmm. they do it. And that and that attraction is as a is a key attractant, uh, and kids have forever says, 
oh, when am I going to grow high enough to reach the top of the, reach the bottom of the sign that says I can finally go? <laughs> mm-hmm. That was our granddaughter <laughs> the whole time. But uh, yeah, and and the Disneyland version of Utopia is just so beautifully landscaped and done. I mean, it's a pleasure to ride on that one. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, it's kind of, well, right now, you know, of course, it went from a, an open, barren, uh, weed-filled lot to now it's a gigantic forest with all kinds of roads and all kinds of things to uh, see around it. So, yeah, now uh, the Utopia is, is, you know, it's quite a drive now. Yeah, mm-hmm. when I was there a few years back with my, my dad, that was the only attraction that we did twice. He loved it so, so much, and it, I did opened up a whole new world for me with it too i always appreciated disneyland's more than walt disney worlds but then like now it's it literally is a must do for me every single time i go but but guess what did you what you just said your dad well your dad is not your child <laughs> or maybe he is <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> Uh, that's the beauty of it though is you know it's uh, maybe maybe some people are looking at it saying you know it's great because it puts kids behind the wheel for the first time and gives them the control and then mm-hmm. you take a, sure. a man in his late 50s and just take him on a trip that takes him back from when he was a kid and went to Disneyland and just opens up this whole new world for him too like it, you just never know who is going to connect with any attraction there. Hey, I'm 87. I'm 87. I drive a Topia and I laugh my head off. <laughs> <laughs> Probably because you're thinking about, oh, that first day on July 17th, 1955, and how well it ran and how well it runs now. <laughs> so. But, um, you know, the, the other interesting, but that also brings up, you know, what Craig was saying is, I, I think one of the reasons, getting back to what we said earlier about how some of these attractions have survived the generations, it also goes back to what Walt wanted. These are also the attractions families can do together, um, no matter what their age. Whereas some of the more modern ones that are more high speed and thrills, you know, grandma and grandpa may not want to go on those or younger children can't go on them. And so some of those newer attractions aren't family experiences any longer. Well, uh, you got to realize the theme park industry is a, is a gigantic industry and it branches off in all different uh, directions. You know, like here in the Los Angeles area, we have um, Six Flags up uh, north of Los Angeles, and it concentrates on uh, numerous roller coasters. Mm-hmm. You'll have something like Knott's Berry Farm, which, sure, it has iron rides, but it also concentrates on the quiet, old, western, natural, easygoing, sit down and just enjoy a, a look at something kind of a park. These are gigantic ranges of uh, content of uh, theme parks. It's completely uh, completely natural development. And the great thing is that there's so many theme parks being built around the world now. There's, I think there's probably 30 or 40 of them under construction and just in China alone with a number of people that are designing them. And the great thing is with so many parks, and you can have all of them have themed in all directions, accompanying almost every taste. 
So this way, uh, a family that likes to go to the quiet, old-fashioned park, well, yeah, we've got those. You'll have uh, people that say maybe a younger family that are a bunch of adventurous-type characters that are always, uh, you know, they come up, they're, they're all gamers. You know, they, they sit around and play games at night. Um, and you give them like something like Captain Marvel stuff while they're off to the races. They say, that's the kind of park I want to go to. It's beautiful. We've got this gigantic range now of parks all over the world. Now, that's true. I'm going to butt in there and ask something that I don't think I've heard you say before. And but again, I'm I'm sure you've given more interviews than I've ever heard in my life. But uh, do you have a, a favorite theme park or amusement park outside of the Disney ones that left a big impact on you at any point? Yes. Sure, Tivoli Gardens. Hmm. The history of Tivoli Gardens, I mean, that, that was designed so long ago, and it just constantly evolved. It's sort of like a small place that just kept evolving over time, but it has an innate charm and an innate size to it. When you walk through those gates and you see all those little twinkling lights and you see all this kind of delicate stuff and some you see some architecture. It doesn't make any sense at all, but it doesn't have to. But you walk in there, and there's some kind of a – it's like reading old, classical, crazy stories from history that might be fairy tales. Uh, and you just let your mind drift and say, well, nothing makes any sense, but it's all kind of cute. Oh, by the way, I, I'm kind of liking this place. Let's hang out here for a while. Uh, Tivoli Gardens is, is that kind of place. Mm-hmm. And that was one of um, Walt Disney's inspirations, right? Oh, oh yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, when I went there 10 years ago, uh, I could see that, oh, I, I went there 10 minutes, and I thought, oh, now I know why Walt liked this place. There's there's something innate about it, and it, but you can't you can't put your finger on it and describe clearly why it is that you like it. But you just know you like it, and you like to stay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Craig, is it whose turn is it? <laughs> I think it's yours, but okay. I can't remember. <laughs> All right, I'm do- I'm going to ask. I'm going to skip down to the Walt Disney Studio and the Walt Disney Company here. So Spencer asked, from your own experience as an audience member, how did Disney shorts and films fit into the landscape of old Hollywood, the 30s and 50s? Was the work of the Disney Studios accepted on the same level as Fox and MGM, or was it seen as something totally different? You know, that's a complicated question. I'm not really a movie guy. Hmm? And I don't, you know, I'm not much that not not much of a movie goer in the last twenty thirty years. Could you rephrase it slightly so I could see the gist of where you're going? I think he wanted to know if the Disney Studios had the same level of respect as by by the other studios. Did Fox and MGM, you know, what was it on the same level? as them by the other Hollywood studios or was the Disney studios just sort of seen as an outlier and that they were very different from all the other movie studios of the time? Yes. What you just said, I think is completely true because the uh, number one, if, you know, uh, there's a lot of people, they know their movie history right and left because uh, starting with the, you know, the big powerhouses, D.W. Griffith, he had a, he had a lot of 
bad ideas, but he actually created the entire industry of, of films uh, starting in the 1920s. Um, the fact that all the studios that gradually uh, came into business uh, around the Southern California area, they were viciously competitive one with one another. They were populated by some absolutely wild uh, shysters. Uh, I mean, there, there, there's more stories in that industry than you can ever believe. But somehow Walt had that little itty-bitty studio down there on Hyperion Avenue until about 1939. He moved out to Burbank. Number one, he's in Silver Lake, and the only studio close to him is about half a mile away, as uh, I think was the old Vitaphone uh, studio. As soon as he went out to Burbank, he's, he's sort of over the hill, so he's not part of that movie industry. Um, and everybody who knows uh, his history, uh, relationship with the movie industry, he he never was friends with anybody in the industry. He was such a, a homebody. Um, he went home every night. And he took care of his daughters. Um, almost the idea of a completely independent uh, person. And, of course, it irritated the rest of the industry. What do you mean the guy's going to get seven Seven Oscars all in, a, all in one piece of wood. That's not fair. <laughs> you know, so the fact that Walt was such an achiever and he was over the hill out in the San Fernando Valley and the rest of them were down there in Hollywood. I think uh, he irritated them greatly, but they had to silently respect him because they understood that what he did was his own niche. And he did his niche so much better than anybody else because he had a he had an integrity of storytelling that was so, so middle America corny, um, which movies, the movies in the twenties were stuff that today you would, you wouldn't dare want to sh want to show on TV. Um, so it's a, it's a crazy industry. I, I know a lot of people in it. Well, and I had my paper out in um, world war II. I had a lot of movie stars on my paper out and every one of them was crazy. <laughs> oh, now we want to know who's on your delivery route. <laughs> oh, people like people like Lon Chaney Jr. My oh. God, yeah, the guy, the, the, the guy was a goofy, goofy character. Oh, and another good one, good one was, was Smiley Burnett. Well, he was the side side man to uh, to Gene Autry. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and Clark Gable's wife. She was on my paper route. Uh, a lot of others, uh, they're all in so individual type of people. And I could see that, yeah, Walt didn't. It's a good thing he's over in the valley, over in Burbank. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. So, well, and the other interesting thing, though, is is that they, you know, Walt Disney, Ub Iwerks, and, and the studio – created so much technology in the way of cameras and things that the studios ended up using and still use to this day. So he... Uh, Walt was so lucky that uh, in Kansas City, uh, I, I, I can't remember the exact details of how how he met Ub, because Ub, Ub was so... I knew Ub so well. He was so quiet. You really couldn't read him at all. Uh, but the man was so absolutely brilliant, and the fact that uh, not only was uh, Ub a, a terrific artist who never, you know, he never really got his name anywhere, but he could figure anything out. And I remember working on Disneyland attractions where uh, 
Ub would come up with the idea, and then my boss, Roger, would send me over to Ub and say, go see what Ub's got. He's got an interesting idea. See if you can figure out uh, the principle of what he's doing, and then you make the big machine uh, uh, version of that, and then we'll put it in Disneyland. Mm -hmm. So I just loved working with Ub because of the uh, the, uh, almost silent originality that he had. Yeah, I, I mean, I I just heard his daughter speak at the or his granddaughter speak at the Walt Disney Family Museum, and it's just fascinating stories about him. And you're and you're right; he just sort of did his thing. And or Walt would say, "This is what I need. Can you do it?" And I would do it. <laughs> you would create it. So yeah. Oh, I've had a place poetry called the uh, the Special Process Lab. Uh, over by the ink and paint billing, and every time I had an extra couple of minutes to rove around the lot a little bit, I'd, I'd just go over there and uh, see what he's doing. Mm-hmm. It was one of those, like, a little a little tiny place, kind of a secret lab-like kind of a place, but there was always fascinating stuff that uh, he'd develop something, and then uh, they'd start to actually build it back in the machine shop uh, in our in our camera service department. So this was always like these inventions I didn't quite understand but uh but there they were yeah yeah his um son Don is is coming out with a new book about him I'm really looking forward um to that one so yes in fact he, he did the little uh he had a little frog character that um his, grand, his grandson um, I, yeah my well yeah, Michael's uh, working on that too I think Michael I works um cuz uh he knows the complete story of the little frog thing. Yeah, flip the frog. So, because when I was at the Walt Disney Archives years ago, uh, oh gosh, um, was it his nephew or someone who was working at the studio? And he stopped by and he gave me these flip the frog. Um, oh, that's uh, that's Michael. Is that, yeah, that was Michael? Yeah, that's, okay, that's, yeah, he gave me that's all these Michael flip I work. Frog. Yeah, he's. He, yeah, he's a, he's a super nice guy. Mm-hmm. He was. He was really nice. So, yeah, but I have all these Flip the Frog postcards somewhere in my collection that he gave me. Wow. Oh, that's all I can say is, wow, Bob is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, in keeping with the tradition of Disney celebrations, our, our 100th episode celebration will extend over the next two episodes. So, you're going to be... so. Join us for the next couple of weeks when Bob is going to answer more of the questions that you sent him. But until then, it's now time for This Week in Disney History. Well, Craig, do you feel, you know, all inspired by Bob in our 100th anniversary that you're just going to... I know you're going to... You're gonna, get it this time uh, this I week 100% hope, I hope that for the 100th <laughs> you uh, set it up that I can get 100% so I either want to fail epically or I want to <laughs> succeed uh, perfectly so uh, I'll have to see how you you chose to set it up though all righty let's see here all right well this is the week of May 12th okay so on May 12th it is reported that David McCullough President of the Society of American Historians has begun a campaign on May 12, 1994, to prevent the Walt Disney um, Company from working on what project? Can you repeat that one more time? Sorry. 
Sure. It is reported that historian David McCullough, president of the Society of American Historians, has begun a campaign on May 12, 1994, to prevent the Walt Disney Company from beginning work on what project? Um, hmm. I have a guess on it. I'm, I'm actually pretty confident that I'm right. Uh, I only have two of David McCullough's books, as long as it's the same one, and that is uh, that is 1776 as well as mm-hmm. John Adams. So I'm assuming that the only thing that would happen, uh, considering the man definitely wrote books on on times of the revolution and stuff uh you know you could look at it and say maybe it was something in new york maybe it was something uh closer to like washington dc or such uh virginia give or take so i'm assuming maybe maybe the theme park in virginia um america that is absolutely right that's right he they work to stop the Disney Company from building a Civil War theme park near Manassas Battlefield in Virginia. McCullough has announced the creation of Project Historic America, a group of 30 historians and writers that will try to persuade Disney to go elsewhere. Hmm. Now, I am a big fan of David McCullough. I highly respect his work. I believe I've read just about all his books. Uh, okay, Mr. McCullough. So what do you think of that historic parking lot, shopping mall, and, uh, and housing <laughs> project that's sitting there right now? Yeah. How yeah. about if you had partnered with the Walt Disney Company to make sure Disney's America told a good story, especially considering how illiterate so many young Americans are about our Constitution and our history these days. So I, I hope I hope you shop at that shopping center and park your car proudly in in a space there. We'll we'll have I, to make I, sure to send this <laughs> episode to him. So uh, yes, we'll, yes, we'll make sure he gets it. So I did. It's I. Yeah, of course, he may be dead for all I know. No, but, he is. He actually <laughs> um, he good. just released a book, I believe, uh, okay, the Pioneers. Oh, okay. I've got to buy that. <laughs> but, um, but I don't like what you did here, you and your fellow historians. Nope. So um, I'll be fair. Anyway. I while I love John Adams, <laughs> I I a lot of what has kept me from wanting to read more of his books is I found 1776 to be tedious. And oh, really? Yeah, it just didn't hook me. Um, mm. But hey, you have that every now and then. Not everyone oh, yeah. bats a thousand. That's 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 true. Yeah. So, but anyway, well, let's move on. Yeah, no one cares <laughs> about us being history nerds. <laughs> no, no, not at all, and not just Disney history yeah. nerds. We we're all kinds of history nerds. Yeah. Okay. A new nighttime spectacular is officially dedicated at Disneyland on May thirteenth, nineteen ninety two. What is the name of this show? Uh, ninety two. That would have been Fantasmic. You're right. Yeah. That's right. This 22-minute presentation features fireworks, live actors, water effects, fire, music, boats, decorated rafts, and projections onto large mist screens. And it takes place over the rivers of America in Frontierland. I just always, it just always amazes me how during the day that river you know the river traffic comes and goes people climb all over the island and then how at night 
it, it, just all of that happens yeah. on the Rivers of America and the island. I mean, that really is Disney magic. It, it is. And to think that that show is a, it's a product of entertainment, not mm-hmm. not necessarily imagineering. Like that was that came to life because of Disney Entertainment wanting to put on this this show. Like that's that to me is is even bigger and yeah. something that you know. But then again, Disneyland Entertainment is also behind all of the holiday layovers. That that's right. Not layovers, overlays. Uh, <laughs> I knew what you meant. The, the next time you're uh, you're stuck in an Atlanta airport because of the holiday rush, you can blame <laughs> Walt Disney Entertainment on that. Um, <laughs> and, and, and no, all the overlays. I mean, those are all straight from entertainment too. So it's mm-hmm. Disneyland Entertainment. They are they are something else. And they I are. love Fantasmic. I don't love me Noob. too. Don't like Mickey. Don't like oh. Ho-ho. Oh no! <laughs> I can't do it that well. Uh, I'm glad I. But can't. Uh, yeah, I, I don't care for the uh, the segment that replaced Peter Pan. The Peter yeah, Pan. Yeah, uh, don't don't care there. for that. I don't need Aladdin. I don't need Rapunzel. I'm I'm a grumpy old man. That's just <laughs> say what it is. <laughs> okay. Well, on March 14th, or May 14th, I should say, 2016, the Disney theme park stopped selling this popular souvenir and collectible. I I think it was Disney dollars. That's right. Yeah, they were first put into circulation in 1987 and printed in limited quantities. Um, The bills featured iconic Disney characters. Typically, Mickey Mouse was on the $1 bill, Goofy was on the $5 bill, and Minnie Mouse was on the $10 bill. And although they are no longer available at the theme parks, they can still be used to make purchases. Did I tell you when I was at Epcot the last time I was down there, somebody had made a purchase with Disney dollars at at the pin shop you did the, not tell me that. yeah oh. they, and and they were in the cash register and so it was the one that you know is right outside spaceship earth yeah the yeah pin trading thing and so i bought the disney dollars <laughs> that's that's smart i the only reason why that really stuck in my head it probably would have just went away but um was when it when they announced that it was going away one of my friends gave me that's not it, like She'll go to Disney, used to have an annual pass, but gave it up once it got too expensive here in Florida. She just had heard from, like, scrolling on Facebook, like, I heard they're getting rid of Disney dollars. I had this one, so you can have it. I was like, well, it's still it's still good. And then she's like, I don't care. You, you would like it more, and if it's gone, you might not have one. And so that's always stuck out with me. So mm-hmm. I, I actually, that's the only one that I have. I have one $1 one and that's carol, it yeah carol would always get a set of them when we'd go to disneyland yeah. you know every year so we we have those yeah. in our we just box somewhere we just spent them i mean it was a thing that that's my parents did go out and they got them at disney store before our trips but we we treated them like they were they were a form mm-hmm. of currency so yeah so we spent we, them we did that too. We uh, we we would buy some at the Disney store, and that was before gift cards. Yeah, and we would save them up, but then we would always save a set, a complete set. But that's how we uh, put our children on sort of a budget. We'd give them Disney dolls and say, "This is what you have for souvenirs and snacks." Yeah. I was hoping you said that's how we were. You were going to say that's how we put you through college. 
<laughs> Disney <Yes>. dollars. <laughs> Wonder if they would have accepted that. <laughs> anyway. Okay, for May 15th, Plain Crazy, Walt Disney's first silent short to feature Mickey and Minnie Mouse, premieres as a sneak preview at a theater on Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles, California on May 15th, 1928. Plain Crazy also features the very first appearance of what other Disney character? Oh, um... You, you got me here. I oh, can't think she's, of it. She, she's utterly delightful. Oh, um, Clarabelle. Yes, <laughs> Clarabelle the cow. Uh, of course, this film is a parody of the Charles Lindbergh craze. Uh, it has cost $1,722 to make, and it is co-directed by Walt Disney and Up Iwerks, and... Ub is also given credit as the main animator, although he is assisted by Hugh Harmon and Ry- Rudolph Ising. And this is the last Disney project Harmon and Ising worked on as they have jumped to the new studio formed by Charles Mintz. Sound will later be added to Plain Crazy and officially released in March 1929, four months after Steamboat Willie. There's a whole lot of trivia in that for you. Okay. All right. May 16th. A well-known filmmaker and television producer passed away on May 16th, 1990. Some of his creations can be seen in Disney theme parks today. I know this very well. Mm-hmm. Um, it's I know this because I joke around a little bit with it. Um, that, that the day this person died, then they waited another day to be reincarnated in someone, and they chose to be reincarnated in Kylie. Uh, so, because uh, she her birthday is May seventeenth, nineteen ninety. Don't go search her credit card history and all that stuff. I don't know what you can actually <laughs> do with people's birthday, um, but that's Jim Henson. That's absolutely correct. Muppet creator, filmmaker, and television producer Jim Henson passes of pneumonia less than 24 hours after being rushed to a New York hospital. The 53-year-old was misdiagnosed earlier in the week, and he had been put on antibi- had he been put on antibiotics only eight hours earlier, it is believed Henson would have survived. Although it is my understanding he's sort of oh, was he- stubborn and refused yeah. to go he did. to the hospital. Yeah, so, he- from everything I've read. Yeah, I highly recommend uh, the biography that came out about him a couple of years back. Um, it's it is really really well written. Uh, it's it takes a little while. He's got a not. I don't want to say a boring childhood. It was definitely entertaining, but it's a little repetitive. Much like a lot of uh, geniuses mm-hmm. when they were they were kids. It seems like it's a lot of the same story over and over again. Uh, once it gets into his work with college and how his puppetry just always was kind of it it never seemed like something that he wanted he cared about forever i mean he he was a filmmaker a television producer Mm -hmm. in that way it was just the way he got big was through this medium that just kind of all you know it turned out he was good at it and and explored it further but um yeah it's it's an awesome biography on it and and yeah, it's he he was stubborn towards the end and wasn't going to the doctor despite being sick and just you know, he's kind of 
just going through weird stuff towards the end um in a way he was yeah mm-hmm. it was and you know it's yeah he, he had a rough rough uh I, I would say five, ten years in the last last years of his life. There, it wasn't wasn't as ideal as as you would hope for someone. But uh, yeah, it's it, it's it's a shame. I, I hated reading about it because I had heard that too. That it probably could have been saved if he would have just went to the doctor sooner. But it really was. It was. It felt like it was born out of stubbornness and um, just not not good overall. But. Um, yeah, I I still think that despite that, that he he passed away a day before Kylie was born, and then clearly every bit of his energy just transferred into my wife, and that must be why she's so wonderful. I uh, must be. That's true. Or so. I'm just insane. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Does she have a lot of uh, Muppets lying lying about the house? Uh she she technically doesn't i have most of the muppet stuff it's it's a it's something that we share we both love the muppets um her her uh aunt was actually uh she did she worked on i don't want to say which muppets movie because it's like literally the worst one of the theatrical (laughs) released ones um muppets from space but uh, i think i even saw that (laughs) it's kylie loves it (laughs) i'm so glad they took it it was on uh hulu for a while i think and like it was every single night it was put on for a while while she was going to bed i'm like i just can't take this movie anymore it's so (laughs) bad um but, but yeah her 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 aunt uh even she was she did background muppet work on that oh, so wow, it's, cool so it's it runs through through our little family so i'm sorry for that big tangent on jim henson but you know if we're going to talk about the muppets that i'm not going to oh, just absolutely. let it be oh no absolutely yeah so okay uh disney writer and director ralph wright is born in grants pass oregon on may 17th 1908 wright's story credits include winnie the pooh and tigger 2 the Jungle Book, Bedknobs and Broomsticks, and The Aristocats. His directing credits include the 1957 live-action film Perry, but many Disney fans may fondly remember him as the voice of a melancholy Disney character. Who who did he voice? Who did Ralph White voice? Um, when you say melancholy, I mean, the, it jumps out right away maybe eeyore that's right okay he was the gloomy voice of lovable eeyore in such classics as winnie the pooh and the honey tree and winnie the pooh and the blustery day so now you know who's the I do, I do. who's the voice behind the fluff yeah i'll forget um <laughs> who's doing it right now isn't it um uh I always forget his freaking name. Um, Ray Barone's brother. Oh, I don't know. I think he did it for... I can't think of it offhand. Yeah. um, You know who I'm talking about, though. From Everybody Loves Raymond, the guy who played Raymond's brother. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know exactly who you mean. Yeah, the last guy who did it, did Eeyore, was the one who also did, like, the war-torn clown from Toy Story 3. (laughs) And then I believe he passed away, and now it moved on once again. Eeyore's rich. 
On May 18, 2009, a Disney legend, voice actor, sound effects editor, and Foley artist for the Walt Disney Studio passed away. Who was this Disney legend? Mm, I'm going to say Wayne Allwine. That's correct. He passed away at the age of 62, best known as the official voice of Mickey Mouse for three decades, and only the third person to ever voice the famous mouse full-time. Alwyn was married to Rusi Taylor, the current voice of Minnie Mouse. That's that's cute. So that they were married. Yeah, no, I, uh, I never knew that until I, I'm embarrassed to say it I didn't know that until um, the the last D23 Expo or not D23 Expo sorry uh, the Destination D when mm-hmm. when they were telling us that story I'm like oh that is that's so sweet so yeah you have, you did very well I, on our hundredths I would episode. say yeah I'll say I'll give myself like a 95% in a way so <laughs> Um, it wasn't perfect because I needed the help. I needed your clever clue with Carabelle. But, uh, and then I couldn't pull bad Brad Garrett out of my mind. Brad which, Garrett, that's who yeah. it is. Okay. And he was. He played, he played Eeyore in Christopher Robin. So, oh, okay. Uh, I feel like he's perfect for that. Mm-hmm. But he is. Um, yeah. it's, I, I know you just you want more, more Winnie the Pooh if it's on the same level as the Disneyland attraction. You want more and more. In the future. Oh yeah! Oh yes! Please, <laughs> just tear out Toontown and make it Poo Town. <laughs> oh, the d- dreams, dreams. <laughs> Craig, this was a great 100th episode. The party will continue, of course, over the next two episodes. And May 19th with Bob Gurn, Waltland Bus Tour. But during all these festivities, how can our listeners connect with you? As always, you can find me on all the different uh, other videos and such that we do on the 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 Diz Unplugged, including the Walt Disney World Edition podcast, Disneyland Edition podcast, Universal Edition podcast, Best and Worst of Walt Disney World, uh, random other things, and then always on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Teleclaster. Michael, what about you? Well, you can send me messages at Michael at WDWinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at MBowling121. Facebook, I'm Michael Bowling. And Instagram, Michael Bowling the Diz. And you can connect with me and Craig on Twitter at Connecting Walt, and be sure to share your memories of your favorite episodes with us this week. And also, let us know what kind of episodes you'd like to see in the future. If you would like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes at disunplugged.com. And look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings. Thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing. That was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother Roy. Roy.